Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Wando. I am your host, Wando, and this week we are doing our first What If episode, and it kind of worked out for me coincidentally. Uh, I'm not going to say it's ironic, because unlike Alanis Morissette, I know the definition of irony. And coincidentally, we're going to be talking about uh, the Carson Palmer, his knee injury in the 2005 playoffs, and what if it never happened? What if he stayed healthy? What would have been the long-term impact on that? And also the short-term, like how far would they have gone that season? Um, coincidentally, this happens to coincide with my own knee surgery. I had some knee surgery on Monday, so I'm like, this might be a perfect time to talk about it. Um, also, Bengals fans, like, I'm sorry that we're ripping off this Band-Aid. I'm sure you guys have dug into it before. I promise I'll get into my own sad sports history. Like, I have plans down the road for talking about what if Derrick Rose didn't blow out his knee? What would have happened if the double doink didn't happen? You know, so we'll get into my own sad sports history, uh, sad moments. But today, we're going to focus specifically on Carson Palmer and those 2005 Bengals. All right, let's get right into it. But before we dig into all the, you know, this injury glory that we're about to go through, I want to introduce a new segment that's called Two Truths and a Lie. And it's exactly what it sounds like, you know, uh, when you're in college or you get a new job, you sometimes do these icebreakers. And a lot of people have told me, like, hey, your whole podcast is about lying, so why not introduce those? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, obviously, two truths and one lie. And I want to see if you guys can, you know, tag me on social media if you can figure out which one is the lie before the end of the episode. So here they are. So one, I lied to my fiance for the first four years of our relationship about reading Harry Potter. I told her I read all the books. Um, in truth, I'd only seen all the movies, but I had lied for four years. Two, I broke my ankle the first day of summer by playing Red Rover with my friends when I was 16 years old. Kind of threw a wrench in my whole summer, including me going to Young Life Camp. But that probably might have been a good thing for me not to go to Young Life Camp to uh, avoid getting indoctrinated. And three, I was supposed to be at Game 2 of the 2005 White Sox World Series, but missed it because I was in the Wisconsin Dells. So that is the Paul Canerco Grand Slam and Scotty Pods walk-off. I missed both of those because I was in the Wisconsin Dells for the 900th time in my life. So please at me at at whatever Wando uh, if, with your guess before the end of the episode. But let's get first right now into the history machine and talk about what happened to Carson Palmer. So in the history machine, we kind of go back and we look through the eyes of sports history at you know a certain team or moment. In this case, the team and moment is in the 2005 playoffs in the NFL, and it's the Cincinnati Bengals. So this is a big year for the Bengals because, you know, they're finally starting to show some growth. It's kind of crazy because, like, up until this point in my life, like, the Bengals had always been pretty bad. They were the bungles. Like, you know, people were in bags over their heads. Like, it's bad. And so, you know, the Bengals, you know, you're bad. You, you know, get some high draft picks, and they're all starting to finally pay off a little bit. Uh, you got Carson Palmer, who they drafted uh, in the first round out of USC. He's starting to finally, you know, come into his own as a starter. Uh, he's another guy, though. Uh, it was kind of funny. I talked about it a couple episodes ago with uh, 
Calvin Jr. He's another guy who he never looked old, but he never looked like he was in his 20s. He always kind of looked like he was like either, I guess you could say 20s, but even when he was in his early 20s, he looked like he was about to be like 30. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But you had Carson Palmer who's kind of stepping into his own and a lot of weapons that are now being surrounded around him that are really stepping up and they became a really good team. They started out 4-0. They finished the season 11-5. and And their stats are super impressive. So as an offense, they were fourth in points, sixth in yards. They were first in passing TDs and fifth in passing yards and 11th in rushing yards and 12th in rushing TDs. When before I like gotten the notes on these guys, I thought like they're just throwing the ball around, but no, they could run. They were running down people's throat too. So they had two ways. They were going to burn you like over the top, or they could just run it right down your throat. So this team was definitely talented defensively. Not as much like they were a good defensive team, but by no means a great defensive team. You know, you think about that AFC North, there's been a few teams in that division who have won Super Bowls because of their defenses, you know, the Steelers, the steel curtain, all that stuff, all those great teams. Um, you have like uh, the Ravens who won a Super Bowl, Trent Dill, like basically despite Trent Dilfer as their quarterback, like they've they've won it because of that. So this defense is not either of those two defenses, um, but it's pretty good, like in some aspects. So they're 22nd in points, 28 in yards. So they're giving up a lot of yards. But they're getting a little bit of that bend don't break sometimes. But the big thing for them is they're first in turnovers, which I think kind of leads to some of those points eventually. I think when you get so many of those turnovers, you start playing for those and you get that mentality like corners start trying to jump routes a little bit more. Maybe you're looking for a fumble more than you would be. So instead of a tackle, you're trying to go for a strip sack. Maybe someone gets loose. So I think that kind of plays into it when you start getting all those turnovers. Maybe you try forcing them a little too much. Uh, But, you know, that's a story for another time. So the defense is okay. But the real story here is the offense. So let's look at the offensive like statistics here. So we'll start first. The man that we're talking about in particular is Carson Palmer. He has 67.8% completion percentage, a third, a 3,836 yards, 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and a QB rating of 101.1. So a pretty damn good year. I like as a Bears fan, I would kill for a quarterback to have a year like that. He is he's playing having a great year, and he's you know he has all these talents around him. The tight ends weren't that great. There wasn't anything to really you know, hang your hat on, but this isn't when this isn't like the Renaissance of the tight end that we've seen recently. You know, the early aughts were you had your consist, you had your Antonio Gates's your Jeremy Shockey's. I think he was still in the league. Um, and you still had Tony Gonzalez, but like, you didn't see like what you have now when there's a lot of stud tight ends. So let's look at his weapons. And this is super impressive. So you got TJ Hootsmanzada. He has 78 receptions, 956 yards, and seven TDs. This is like peak of the TJ Hootsmanzada stock. There's commercials that are about him, like for fantasy football. Like everyone knows who TJ Hootsmanzada is. Uh, you got Chris Henry, unfortunately, who would pass way too early a few years later. Um, he's got 31 receptions, 422 yards, and six TDs. And then, of course, you have Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco, depending on what you want to call him, 97 receptions, 1,432 yards, nine TDs. So this is a great wide receiving core. Yeah, if you got one shutdown corner, you might try to put on Chad Johnson. Who's stopping TJ? Who's stopping Chris Henry? Even if you got two, which isn't, it's easier said than done to have two lockdown corners. You got to leave one of these guys open, and that is not the best situation to have. 
and then also when it comes to running, um, the running back Rudy Johnson, he had 1,458 yards and 12 TDs. He wasn't much to say in the passing game. Like he, he's not your Christian McCaffrey type back. He was, I'm running North and South, but you know, he had a great year. So once again, this is a pretty balanced offense. Um, it was a little more balanced. Than I thought it would be like when I kept on thinking back at this team, I was like, they were throwing on everybody. They're putting up like 40 points, 30 points, but now they'd run it down your throat when they needed to, which is really big. in that AFC North, because sometimes you just got to bleed those games out because, you know, some of those, some of those AFC North games were just a rock fight. It's ugly. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, like I said, they kind of gave up a lot of yards and they did give up more points. They probably should. But I think part of that is because of that offensive, you know, their that turnover mentality. Um, they had 22 fumble recoveries because they were first in, you know, defensive turnovers. So 22 fumble recoveries, 31 interceptions, including five for, uh, their middle linebacker, Odell Thurman, five for cornerback, uh, Tory James and 10 for Delpha O'Neal. Delpha O'Neal did have a two interception game and a three and a three interception game, but still 10 interceptions, even with a couple inflated games is nothing to shake a stick at. It's still nothing of night train lanes, 14 picks in a year, but still a great year when it comes to interceptions. So this team has a great year and they're set up for a long run because not only can they win, you know, can they win throwing the ball? Can they can win running the ball and they can make stops when they need to. So there was a lot of optimism, I think in the NFL and in Cincinnati, but unfortunately all of that came to a screeching halt in our next segment, which is called a moment in time. So in a moment in time, what we do is we basically take one moment and we break it down. And what we have is the first drive of the Bengals, you know, playoffs. And what they have is it's second and nine. And Carson Palmer drops back from their own 12 yard line and throws a great pass to Chris Henry, who runs it. And they get about a 60, 70 yard gain. But then they cut back and you just see Carson Palmer just writhing on the ground. And you know it's never good when someone uses the word writhing because we all know what writhing looks like. It's like, oh, you're hurt. No, you're writhing. You're just like, oh, my God, like someone's rolling around and they're obviously uncomfortable. So he's writhing on the ground and you see the replay and it's chemo van often. He kind of he goes to the ground then he kind of like glides his way into Carson Palmer's leg. Like, it's not like one of those plays, like where someone rolls up on someone that they don't see coming. Like he clearly saw the direction he was coming. And, you know, so I understand Bengals fans who think it's a dirty hit because he knows where he's going. And he kind of like grabs at the knee awkwardly. Like, it doesn't look like there's a ton of force behind it, but it's still just the motion alone. And like when you're not expecting it, like you could definitely hurt someone that way. And then, you know, he goes to the ground and then he's done. Carlson Paul Carson Palmer is all out. John Kitna's in and instantly the ceiling of this team dramatically changes. Um, they end up losing this game 31 to 17, but in this moment, you kind of just see like the worst fears of a team happen, whether it's for the team itself, like the players or like fans, it's just that one play that's like so bad enough, like an injury or something that it's just like, okay, everything has changed. And I know it sounds awful, but if it's say like we named all those great wide receivers or like their running back, you know, Rudy Johnson earlier, if one of them severely gets hurt, yes, it's going to hurt their team, but not as bad as losing Carson Palmer. Because let's say Chris Henry got hurt. 
you know, once again, rest in peace to Chris Henry, who unfortunately went too young. But if Chris Henry goes, like, you still have two really top flight wide receivers. And I'm sure there's another guy who can play that third route. You know, it's one of those things of like when there's two studs and you're and you get to be like kind of that third guy, you know, you might be fight, you know, getting a little less coverage. So maybe you can fill in that route. Um, but like when you lose, you know, your quarterback who's had a great year, it's hard to recover from that. First of all, you have just the mental, you know, of just seeing your quarterback down on the field. And then just, you just know the drop off and play. There's a reason why one guy's the starter and the other guy's the backup, you know, besides college, when you get to the pros, it's not that, you know, it's a, usually a pretty big gap. There's a reason why one guy is a starter and the other guy's a backup. So for this team, this moment, it kind of, it's kind of like a parallel universe is kind of created. We have one universe where Carson Palmer gets hurt. This team loses. And then over the years, you kind of see the downfall of this team. Um, the Bengals have a history of not being a franchise that spends a ton of money. Once again, I understand Bengals fans. I'm a White Sox fan. Our owner's super cheap. He, has, he occasionally spends money, but then he won't do it again for another like seven to eight years. Because every time he signs someone, they end up being like not that good. Then he's like, well, like, see how it worked out when I spent money. So I get it. Um, but the Bengals have always had that history of like they're not spending a ton of money. Their facilities weren't always that great. So you had this you know, reality where they kind of kind of like a the, the baseball equivalent is like the Rays. They built up internally. You know, they sign occasionally a few guys, but they were very much through the draft and they had built up this team and they were ready to go. And then just like that, there goes your chance. You lose it with your quarterback going down. So once again, we have our normal universe where this happens. He gets hurt. They go on to lose um, the game. John Kitna does pretty well. Uh, like the best you can expect from a pretty decent Pittsburgh Steelers team that goes on to win the Super Bowl. Um, but obviously Carson Palmer would have done better. So now that's kind of where we're going to branch off in this alternate universe of ours. Okay. Maybe Carson avoids it. Maybe just the hits a little bit higher. Carson stays in the game. How does everything change? So that takes us to our next segment, which is called alternate universe. So in alternate universe, we basically take the play or the moment and we kind of say, OK, what if it didn't happen that way? So let's pretend Carson either avoids the hit or chemo hits him like a little bit higher. So maybe he hits him on the hip. He falls down the ground. He gets back up, though. He's fine. It's a normal quarterback hit. Carson Palmer is still in the game. The Bengals are now on the 22 yard line of the Steelers. I think they run it right in just like either it could be a throw or once again, they might just run it in with Rudy Johnson a couple plays later and they're off to the races because this Bengals team was not afraid of the Steelers. They had played them well in two games, including recently it was like week 13. They had beaten them on the road in Pittsburgh, 38 31. So they're not afraid of this Pittsburgh team. And Ben Roethlisberger, you know, at this time is not like what he would eventually become, like where he'd be like a 4,000 yard passer that isn't who big ben was yet um when you look at his like for example when you get to the super bowl his stats are atrocious in the super bowl he was nine for 21 with 123 yards and two picks he had a 22.6 passer rating antoine randall l is the only one who threw a touchdown pass for the steelers in that game he was one for one with 43 yards and a touchdown so you know ben roethlisberger isn't signed to write home about at this time like really as a quarterback he, you know, he kind of has that Trent Dilfer feel of like, he's okay. You know, he's not the biggest reason you're going to win a game or lose a game. That's what kind of amazing with some of the point totals they have. Cause he just isn't like, he isn't the quarterback he becomes later. 
You know, he isn't the 4,000 yard passer we've seen the, like the last five to six years. He just, he doesn't have that yet in 2005. So I think the Bengals, if Carson Palmer stays in, they, you know, score enough on this team and they beat them and they advance on in the playoffs. And I think that would have been a big demon, you know, to kind of get out of their way. Not only do they beat a rival, you know, who probably has been looking down on them for years, you beat them in a home playoff game and you're kind of establishing yourself. I think they could have gotten, um, you know, they might have thrown it over them. They might have ran it down their throat because they, once again, they had a really good running game and it was snowing there. So I think, you know, I think the Bengals advance. And then I think they would have faced their toughest challenge, which would have been the Colts. Um, they had played the Colts that year and it was a really good game. So um, in the game they played, it was a real big shootout between um, the Colts and the Bengals. And the game happened in particular in week 11 and the Bengals lost 45 to 17 at home. It's a really good game though. Um, and it's, so the Bengals had 492 yards of offense. Obviously they had 37 points. Their defense gave up 451 yards and 45 points. Um, they didn't get a lot. Of, so they only got one turnover, which, you know, some of the, compared to some of their other games, like, you know, isn't a lot, you know, they had like some of these games for, if you look at the Bengals box scores are like three turnovers, seven turnovers, six turnovers, one, one, three, two, five. Like they had a ton of turnovers. So I think in some of those games, if they didn't get enough, that kind of hurt them a little bit. Cause this was a, you know, a bend don't break defense, but occasionally they would break and they did against the Colts. But is it hard to believe that back in 05, that this Colts team wouldn't just like they did against the Steelers wouldn't kind of collapse. You know, this is the days of, all right, Peyton gets to the playoffs and Peyton's not who he is anymore. He isn't regular season Peyton. You know, maybe he has a kicker like Vanderjet miss a kick for him. Um, maybe just throws a bad pass. We all know Peyton Manning is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's probably the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. Playoff Peyton is a different Peyton. You know, it could be argued that playoff Eli may be the better quarterback compared to just playoff versions of each other. You know, you can argue with stats and all that. But then you could argue back like, well, Eli only made it a certain amount of times, but that kind of comes back more in the regular season discussion because you need to have a good regular season to make it to the playoffs. But that's neither here nor there. I think it's very plausible to believe that, you know, maybe the Colts pull a Colts, you know, and then they, they kind of fail. Something bad happens along the way because it just seemed to follow Peyton those years when he was trying to get that first title. And they lose, and the Bengals advance. And if they make it to the AFC title game, they are now playing uh, the Denver Broncos because this is the year the Broncos uh, knocked off the Patriots. So now you've gone through Ben Roethlisberger, you've now gone through Peyton Manning, and now you have to fake you have to face Jake Plummer. Like that's the least scary, eh, probably like out of quarterbacks wise, I I'd probably say Big Ben at that time was probably the least scary. But Jake Plummer isn't something to be terrified of. You know, you get through Peyton Manning, like you probably feel like you can take out anybody. And I think they would have. I don't think that that Broncos team had the offensive capabilities to keep up with this Bengals team. So I think it would have probably just been a shootout, honestly. Uh, I don't think it'd be a shootout. I think probably the Bengals just would have beat them by a touchdown or two. I think they were just that much better. So in our alternate universe, once again, with just one quick play, I honestly do believe the Bengals would have made it to the Super Bowl and they make it to Super Bowl 40 when they would take on their opponent, the Seattle Seahawks. So 
waiting for them in the Super Bowl, waiting for the Bengals in the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 40 is the Seattle Seahawks. And this Seattle Seahawks team is no slouch. So this Seattle Seahawks team finishes 13 and three. Uh, they have the best passing, like the, the best like offense based on points, the second best based on yards. Uh, they had 3,458 uh, passing yards with 25 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. They had 2,457 rushing yards with 29 rushing touchdowns, which is absurd. Um, their defense was also pretty good, too. They were 7th in points and 16th in yards. Um, so they definitely were a really good team. But the the real mainstay of this team, though, the real thing that they hung their head on was how well they run they ran the ball, and that happened with Sean Alexander. Sean Alexander is just a case study in, like, how do you run a guy into the ground? He had 370 attempts this year, 1,880 yards, and 27 rushing TDs. The team had 29 rushing TDs, so all but two of them came from Sean Alexander. Sean Alexander was a beast, but they ran him into the ground. Uh, He was involved somewhat in the passing game, but he put up, like, his season stat line is something that you could see Alvin Kamara getting in one game. He had 15 catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Like, even though the 15 catches would be hard, I could Kamara easily could get those, like, yards and touchdowns in a game. This passing offense, I think, wasn't as scary because there wasn't, like, that one guy that jumps off at you. I think any of the three-headed monster from the Bengals would have easily went over to the Seahawks and been their best wide receiver. TJ Husmanzad is better than any of these guys. Chad Johnson, obviously, and same with Chris Henry. I think they all would have been better than any of these guys because here are the best wide receivers on the Seahawks team. So let's do, we're going to do this based on receptions only. So Bobby Ingram, a name I never thought I'd have to say again, he had 67 receptions for 778 yards and three touchdowns. Joe Jaravicious, 55 receptions, 694 yards, 10 touchdowns. Jeremy Stevens, uh, pretty solid tight end for a couple of years, 45 receptions. 554 yards and five touchdowns. Then you got like DJ Hackett, Daryl Jackson, Peter Warwick. Like these aren't names that jump off the pages. Like, Ooh, we need to put our top corner on this guy. Um, they were good. They got the job done, but this team, you know, was based off of Sean Alexander. They had a great play action game. Cause you had to commit to stopping him in the box. And that's where I could see some of this being a little bit of trouble. So for the Bengals, So I think you have two ways this game plays out, and there's really only two. One is it's a shootout. If it's a shootout, the Bengals are winning this game. This offense, you know, the way they, like, the the weapons they have, I don't think match up with the Bengals. I think the Bengals just would have put it on them. I don't think they would have blown them out, but I think they would have put up some massive yards and a lot of points. So if it's a shootout, I think you're looking at a Bengals Super Bowl victory. Then you got kind of the, you know, kind of the slog, you know, the you know both teams are kind of maybe they're not hitting on their passes as well maybe there's some phony penalties like there was in this actual Super Bowl that happened between uh the Steelers and the Seahawks and maybe they're both running the ball and I think the advantage definitely that way goes to the Seahawks because they were such a better running team but let's not you know say like the the Bengals were not a bad running team the Seahawks were just that good so I think in that type of game, it could have gone either way. I'd probably lean a little bit more towards the Seahawks, um, but it's kind of hard to predict. But I think in most scenarios that played out in my head, I would see the Bengals winning because if the Bengals had to come from behind, I think they had the weapons to do it faster. I think if they were trying to keep up, it would be easier for them to keep up compared to the Seahawks. I just don't think they had the talent to keep, you know, keep up. So 
I think, honestly, if Carson Palmer doesn't get hurt on the first play, and this is such like crazy, like we're going all the way back. It's like, it's just this one little moment. If Carson Palmer doesn't tear his ACL and MCL. I think the Bengals win this Super Bowl. And which is so like, it's gotta be so hard for you to hear that as a Bengals fan. And like, I get it. It sucks. But that team was really good. And I also just don't think the Seahawks were that good. Like, I think they were pretty good. But I think that Bengals team, I think this is back in the days the AFC was way harder than the NFC. The NFC West is not what it is now when there's like a three-headed monster out there. This is like when, this is still around the same era that that we eventually get like the beast quake and we get like an under 500 team in from the NFC West. The NFC West is not that good. So some of the wins that the Seahawks have are against some pretty bad teams. So that win total is a little inflated, you know, and you could argue at that time for the Bengals, like, oh, you're in the AFC North. So, you know, the Browns are that good, but still you got the Steelers, you got the Ravens, you know, that division I, I see just to be, if you look at it on a consistency basis, the AFC North tends to be a tad tougher than the NFC West. So at the end of the 2005 season, we now have a new NFL champion with the very healthy and happy Carson Palmer winning the Super Bowl. So what happens next? So our next segment is called Legacy. So in Legacy, we kind of break down what would have been the legacy of Carson Palmer and this team. So I think with Carson Palmer staying healthy, he doesn't get hurt by chemo, uh, chemo Van Otten to be specific, I think this team wins a Super Bowl. I don't think they repeat because, well, first of all, I want to say the NFL and like ESPN and other people make it seem like repeating the NFL is a very rare thing, but it's happened more times than you might think. So the Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers did it with Super Bowls one and two. The Miami Dolphins did it with Super Bowls seven and eight. The Pittsburgh Steelers did it twice with Super Bowls nine and ten. And then again with Super Bowls 13 and 14. The San Francisco 49ers did it with Super Bowl 23 and 24. The Dallas Cowboys did it with Super Bowls 27 and 28. The Broncos did it with Super Bowl 32 and 33. And the last team to do it was the Patriots when they did it with Super Bowl. 38 and 39. So it's happened more times than they would kind of lead on the NFL, but I don't think the Bengals would have done that, but I don't think it's hard to believe that during the span that the Bengals maybe win another Super Bowl. So now Carson Palmer has two Super Bowls. I think during this time of his career trajectory stayed the same. He probably win an MVP at some point. So not only has he brought two Super Bowls to this franchise, he's won an MVP. He's probably continuing to put up massive passing yardage. So I think it's very easy to see him going down as a Hall of Famer and getting his number retired in can in the like with the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think that's really good for him because now we get the black stain off of his career, which was go like forcing his way out of Cincinnati to get to the Raiders. Because the Raiders, like after that tuck rule game, it felt like it just broke them. Like it just broke their brains. And they were just like, okay. We're just going to draft the biggest and fastest guys every year from now on. Just hire really bad coaches. And that's what they did. They had a few years every every couple of years they'd do like, okay, kind of like they're doing right now. like, But they just would fall off the face of the earth. They'd be like, all right, who ran the best 40? That's who we'll draft. And that's what they did. And like people kept on going to the Raiders and we'd be like, are they washed? Like Randy Moss went there. Like, oh, Randy, Randy doesn't have it anymore. And then he went to the Patriots. Like, oh, never mind. He still got it. It's just that, you know the black hole is literally a black hole where charisma and talent goes to die. 
And then the same thing happened with Carson Palmer. He went there and he didn't look good either, but that team also was not very good. So Carson Palmer never forces his way out there. Um, he stays, he has a long career, you know, cause he's only like 10, like when he leaves, he's still, he's only like 10,000 yards short of the, you know, the all time leading passer in Cincinnati, like when he left 2010. So it's easy to believe if he would have stayed, he would have broke that number because of the number of yards he was putting up per year. And if you look at the average yards for like a pretty good quarterback, which he was, you know, 3000 to 4,000 yards a year is easily achieved. So we're talking three more years and he's easily the all-time leading passer. Then that kind of changes the course of this team does, you know, maybe they, they don't have that dip, that bad dip. So they never take Andy Dalton. Maybe they do take enough of a dip where they get AJ green. Um, but it's still Carson Palmer throwing him the ball. I think that'd be kind of like a cool, like maybe Chad Johnson's still sticking around, kind of teaching him like what things he knows, because I think Chad Johnson might've been able to teach AJ green, a few of the moves and like things that he had to learn because Chad Johnson wasn't as offensively like naturally gifted as AJ green was AJ green was bigger, faster. Like he was a better, like he was way better at, you know, like his route running, uh, even though this past Thursday would not, you know, do that for you. He had, I think so much like potential and he, he did realize that potential, but then injuries kind of slowed him down. And so now he's in Arizona, but I think some of the things that Chad Johnson could have, you know, taught him would have made him even better than he already is. And he's great. So I think that also helps the team. Maybe Mike Brown takes his job as owner a little more seriously. There are some owners that no matter what happens, they don't put enough like, you know, money into their team. I know that as a White Sox fan, Jerry's Weinsdorf, like he'll spend money every once in a while, but then he won't do it again. Look at Tampa Bay. They never spend money. Like I'm talking about the Rays, not like the Buccaneers. The Rays never spend money. That team is always like they're they're competitive. They hover around, but they're like, we know the way we're going to make money. You know, we'll get our revenue share and we'll, you know, we'll bring up guys from the minors. Then when they want to go, they'll go. We'll keep doing it. And the Bengals are one of those teams that like they have a devoted fan base. They know who are going to show up like decently. You know, the jungle in Cincinnati is super cool. Um, But yeah, they kind of sometimes took them for granted. So maybe winning more often would be kind of incentivized be like, Hey, like we make good money when we're losing, but we're making a lot more money when we're winning. So maybe we'll get a few more free agents that, and you know, Mike, Mike Brown, for all I know has tried his best to get free agents. Just couldn't get him to come to Cincinnati. Maybe with a winner, he gets a few more of those big names that you wouldn't suspect. And that maybe keeps them going um, a little bit longer and extends that peak window that they have going there. So I think that really changes the Cincinnati Bengals forever. This run that was all changed by one hit going badly which is a real damn shame and yeah i think that's kind of like for carson palmer i think this is this injury was kind of like it's you know how his career kind of worked out carson palmer never got like those small like tiny injuries like you'll sometimes like see if you play a lot of fantasy football like they'll be like oh like someone's dealing with a hamstring it was never anything like that for carson palmer it's like oh he has a severe in shoulder surgery issue he has he blew out two tendons like two major ligaments in his knee. It was never anything like, oh, like his thumb hurts a little bit. It's like, no, like it's bad. So maybe this, him avoiding like hurting, getting hurt here, maybe it's like this karma that like follows him around his whole career. Cause sometimes that's what it is. It is luck. Part of like being so successful, like Tom Brady. Tom Brady's taken some big hits in his career. And luckily for him, only one of them has been real bad. And that knocked him out that one year, that one year when Matt Castle got to come play in. So. Who knows? Maybe this changes his whole entire career and he stays healthy for most of it. 
So, uh, yeah, I think that's what would have happened if he would have stayed healthy. A much different career. Maybe he's one of those guys on Monday Night Football that's like every other day they're changing a passing record back and forth like him, Drew Brees, and uh, Tom Brady. I don't know if he would have got it to that level of success, but I think if he continued the success trajectory that he's on, I think he's a Hall of Famer if he would have kept it on the trajectory he was going. As of right now, I don't think he'll be one. I think he was a very good quarterback, had some very high highs, but then he had some very low lows, a.k.a. being on the Raiders. So I think that kind of knocks him out um, for the Hall of Fame. But if he would have stayed healthy and stayed most of his career there, maybe eventually he does leave. Maybe it's kind of like a good terms, kind of like it's, you know, at the end, they're like, they maybe they, they have a really downturn the last couple of years. And they're like, hey, like we have the first pick. We get Joe Burrow, just like in real life. But they're like, we got to hand him the reins. So then maybe he goes somewhere else to finish his career off. But it's not like the ugly of, I'm going to force my way out of here or retirement. It's just like a, hey, it's time for me to go. You know, maybe they go play an extra year or two somewhere else because it happens before. Tom Brady just did it, won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. We saw Peyton Manning. He didn't finish his career with the Colts. Uh, Brett Favre didn't finish his career with the Packers. It's happened before. So I think it definitely could have just um, – I think if he stays healthy, it alters his career and the Bengals' career for the better. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. I had a ton of fun with it. I loved analyzing this. I had a lot of fun just because of – I really liked this this Bengals team. They were always like one of my favorite teams to pick in Madden this year because they were so much fun. And so I thought this was a perfect episode to do. It just had the coincidence I also got knee surgery. So obviously his was much worse and much more high stakes, but – it kind of just worked out perfectly for me. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, before we move on to my little wrap up, I told you guys at the beginning of the episode, I gave you two truths and a lie. And so I want you guys, I'm going to read them off to you guys again. And then if you guys want to send me off a tweet before I give you the answer to which one you think is the lie, uh, please do. So here are your options of what I did. So one of these, these are two truths and a lie. One, I lied to my fiance for the first four years of our relationship about reading the Harry Potter books. I really hadn't. I just watched the movies. Number two, I broke my ankle the first day of summer by playing Red Rover with my friends when I was 16. And number three, I was supposed to be at game two of the 2005 White Sox World Series, but missed it because I was in the Wisconsin Dells. So right now, if you want to take a guess, pause this podcast right here and tweet at me at whatever Wanda with your guess. I'll pause for just a second. And we're back because you have a pause button. So I really don't need to pause in real life. So uh, the lie in this story was actually the broken ankle on Red Rover. I did break my ankle the first day of summer when I was 16, but I did it playing Ultimate Frisbee barefoot in my friend's backyard. It really wasn't a smart decision, but uh, the other ones did for sure happen. I did lie to my current fiance, uh, well, current fiance, soon to be wife about reading the Harry Potter books. I had done enough research and stuff on the Harry Potter books. I thought I could get through most conversations. Then she brought up some like fact I didn't know. And I was just like, I just got to tell you I'm lying. I never read any of those books. So she occasionally gets mad at me about it. But uh, we just said that eventually, like when she, we have kids and she reads them the Harry Potter books, she'll just read them to me too. Because I just had the attention span of a fly at times. And then I was supposed to be at the 2005 World Series game, game two. That one hurts a lot. I remember that occasionally every once in a while. I'm like, oh yeah. That hurts my feelings. I should have been there. Um, but yeah, uh, if you guys like this segment, please let me know. Because I, you know, I was, it's fun to sometimes go through my past lies and stories. Sometimes it's not. So uh, let me know if you want me to keep on reminiscing as I have. So please join us next Wednesday, whatever, Wanda. We're going to go back into our conspiracy bags 
And we're going to look at whether the draft lottery for Patrick Ewing was rigged to make sure the New York Knicks got the first pick in the NBA draft that year. All right. I'll see you guys next week. See you later. Thank <laughs> you.